0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation.
1: Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com/AIforAll. Ah, mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on—that's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought-after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code Welcome10 for ten dollars off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.
0: Happy Monday after Black Friday and Thanksgiving. This week, I bring you a very special guest. Her name is Amanda Guerin. She is a local social worker and president of Nashville Angels Nonprofit. Social workers are integral to the healthcare team and I am so thrilled to share Amanda's passion for this field with all of you. This week's Nerdy Energy Moment is for Nashville Angels. If you have the ability to donate to your local chapter of National Angels, please consider doing so or purchasing off their Amazon wish list. The money or products given literally go directly to the hands of children in the foster care system all over the US. And if you don't have the ability to give, please share about the organization on your social media or by word of mouth. Amanda, welcome to the WOMED. I'm so happy we are able to do this episode because social workers and Nashville Angels nonprofit are so near and dear to my heart. So thank you for making the time today to speak. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Amanda is a social worker and secretly I think you might be Wonder Woman. <laughs> Along with being a social worker, you are the founder of Nashville Angels nonprofit. Yeah. Social workers truly are such a driving force in healthcare and the community. Like those lines are are so blurred. Like you're in the hospital, you're in like clinics you are in community programs you're I mean you're everywhere
2: yeah I think people often because I see all the time like you say social workers are like oh so you work for the state you tell you we'll skip the way and I'm like n- n- no actually that's not <laughs> that's not what I do actually because uh, I've done a lot of different things a lot of different things with my degree and mm-hmm. so when you tell someone like, all the different things you've done they're like oh you can do all of that and I was like listen social work is one of the most versatile degrees you can use because there are so many different places you can work and so many different populations you can work with. And so and there's it's endless opportunities, I feel like. That's amazing because that's
0: not something I totally realized, you know, because my, my limited uh, work with them has all been in the hospital, right? Yeah. So let's just start with social work. When did you decide that that was
2: um, a path and degree that you wanted to pursue? Well, actually... Uh, Not even until my sophomore year of college. So I literally from the age of five, I always said I was going to be a nurse on a pediatric floor in a hospital, which you would also be very good at. Like I had never, ever thought of doing anything else, but working with kids in a hospital. Mm -hmm. And I did the health pathway in high school and did some CNA work and like, I loved it. It wasn't even, I didn't love doing that work. But I went to college and I was in the nursing program as a freshman. And so I did all my prereqs that year and started nursing school and classes my sophomore year. And I got about six weeks into the semester and it just didn't fit. Mm -hmm. I I didn't feel the way I thought it was going to. And I was like terrified to tell my parents. I was like, I've only ever said I wanted to be a nurse literally my entire (laughs) life. And now I'm going to tell them, I don't know what I want (laughs) to do. And it was one of those things everyone was always like, oh, it was just too hard. And I was like, no, it had nothing to do with the classes. It was it was a me issue, not a not a class issue. Right. And so I call my mom and I'm like terrified. And she says, well, you have two weeks to change or to figure it out because the eight weeks period is up and you need to get classes for this semester. Oh, dang. I I don't know. I literally don't know. And she said, (laughs) well, the only other things I could think of are education or social work. And I have a huge appreciation for teachers. I love them. I didn't think that's what I wanted to do. I was like, I just don't feel like that's me either. Mm -hmm. And I was also the same person who was like, I'm never going to be a social worker. I can't take people's kids away. I can't do that.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you you thought you believed your own like misconception of of the field.
2: Absolutely. And so I said, okay, I researched it. I went and talked to the social work like advisor for our, our grade level of, you know, freshman, sophomore, and kind of talked to her, and she was like, well, if you want to do social work, you can still get a nursing degree, and just get your master's in social work, and I'm thinking, why am I going to put myself through nursing school to not even want to use it? Yeah. So I went ahead and took, was like, well, I'll just take the intro to social work class in the spring. I'll finish out this semester with credit, and then I'll just start social work classes in the spring, and I went to my first intro to social work class, and it was like immediate. I was like, okay, these are my people. This is where I'm (laughs) supposed to be. And I can't even pinpoint what exactly it was. Mm -hmm. It just clicked immediately of like, okay, nursing may not have been it, but this, I think this might be it. And I took the classes and really didn't even know what I wanted to do with it. Cause like in that first class, you hear so many different things you can do. You can do foster care adoption. You can work in the hospital. You can work in the VA. You can do I mean, literally anything. There's so many opportunities with leadership and different like levels of population, like macro, which is like the general public, and then doing like direct care and you can do therapy later on if you get your masters and whatnot. And so I was almost overwhelmed with the different opportunities I would have with this degree. Yeah. Um, and so initially I was thinking, okay, maybe like the foster care adoption. Or I can do that part of it because like you'd be like putting families together instead of like taking them apart. Right. And then I ended up thinking well maybe military social work my dad was in the military I see how underserved that population was at the time I was like maybe I could do some really good work with that Mm -hmm. and went back and forth and still didn't really know what I was going to do and then after graduation ended up moving back home in North Carolina for a year and working on the children's advocacy center where I worked with like child abuse daily that's Mm -hmm. what I did I did forensic interviewing for court for kids who were alleged to be sexually abused or physically abused and Mm -hmm. that I tell you right now I thought okay this is not for me I can't do this yeah falling in love with it just because the work you were able to do in that short amount of time for someone child and just immediately was like okay this is (laughs) opening up my eyes to more than what I thought social work could be because of my thing was always working with kids. That was always what I wanted to do. I just wanted to help people, especially children, because that's who I gel with and click with the most Mm -hmm. um, and have always been that way. And Mm -hmm. so after that job, kind of ended up working more and more with kids. And that's just where we ended up. I just stayed with trauma and mental health, which is the last place I thought I was going to end up, to be honest. (laughs) There's no way. Like, And now... I can't even imagine not working in in that realm of social work, dealing with mental health and different kinds of trauma, with not even just kids but also their parents and families as well.
0: Wow! I know, as a NICU nurse, the trauma that like you would you would see and experience on a daily basis just kind of adds up. So, I'm curious for you, how do you kind of compartmentalize? How do you take care of your own mental health when you know working in such I don't want to say devastating, but like you're hearing these traumatic stories all the time. Like, how do you how do you protect yourself in that situation?
2: I will say I'm not the greatest at that. Uh, The whole like self-care thing is like an ongoing process for me and has been Mm -hmm. for a while just because I I won't say I don't not like compartmentalize it, but I think I throw my entire self into every single case that I work with. Mm -hmm. I get attached. I get emotionally involved, not to like an inappropriate level, but of like, I'm going to be real with you and I'm going to be here with you in this space, whatever that Mm -hmm. looks like, which is also so odd for me, but I'm such a feeler. Like I'm so emotionally charged with everything I do. I walk into a room and I feel the feelings of everyone around me, which can be very draining and exhausting when you do that all day every day at work and in your personal life and so I did therapy for a while and honestly with the way 2020 has been I'm probably going to start going back to therapy (laughs) just as like it's a really good like just good mental health check-in for compassion fatigue that's Mm -hmm. a very real thing especially in social work and people kind of forget about that I'm like that's a thing and I'm like yes it's it's a real thing of just giving so much of yourself to everybody else that you kind of forget oh I need to check on myself too and make sure I'm getting needs met for me too which I'm also not great at because I'm an Enneagram too and that's one of my weaknesses of like and I'm very aware same of girl <laughs> and so I have to be very careful because which thankfully I went to therapy and learned what Enneagrams were and like it just was really a good self-awareness tool for me of mm-hmm. like oh I need to check myself on that yeah and so I love to like bake and cook and like music is a big part of my life. And just like being around that. The mm-hmm. so 2020 has been hard for that because it's like, a, it's like a good escape for me. But I just dance around my kitchen and bake and cook for everybody and for me. And I love books and movies and stuff just because it's a good escape.
3: Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm.
2: my brain doesn't turn off like ever. <laughs> it just runs nonstop. And so if I have something that's distracting, like a book or maybe where I'm having to invest in what I'm doing, it helps me kind of turn the rest of the world kind of off for a little while and I love like being outside and hiking and that's always a good like relaxing thing for me too and being by like the lake or the waterfalls like that's just really calming for me Mm -hmm. so I've gotten better at that but still not the greatest but I had a boss tell me one time it was after I moved to Nashville one of my first jobs here and I went to her after this really long 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 court um, appointed meeting and I was like talking about that with her and she was like that's your problem and I was like what are, what are we talking about she was <laughs> like you care too much like you just need to like turn it off and I was sitting there thinking wait a minute <laughs> what and she was How like, am I supposed to turn be... that off right she's mm-hmm. like that's gonna be like your biggest downfall is like you you're you care about them too much and I'm sitting there thinking is that even a thing like to care about someone too too much and she was like, "Don't worry about it. You'll be cold-hearted and bitter like the rest of us one day." And uh, I walked that's out of that. Not
0: what you want to hear from your no, boss?
2: No. And I walked out of that out of that meeting, and I thought, I drove home in traffic, and now was like, "Always." So it's like a forty-five minute drive, being in the car, and I just right. cried, I cried, and I thought, and I came to this realization: if I ever get to that point, it's time for me to walk away. Hmm. Because you can't do your job as effectively. Exactly. Like. And I've been that person who like compares my, because everyone does social work differently. And I've mm-hmm. learned that and everyone does it differently based on their personality and what works for them. And mm-hmm. I've been that person of like, well, I wish I did social work like so-and-so because it's too, it's, sometimes it's hard being, because I'm such a nurturer. Sometimes it's hard being that person. And yeah. my boss at that time was like, no, that's what makes you good at what you do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so it was like coming kind to of this realization of like, that's how I do social work and that's what works for me. And that's why I'm able to connect with people the way I do. Mm -hmm. And so I don't need to try to fight that and change that. I need to embrace that and use that and use my strength to do social work my way, basically. Yeah.
0: I would think that would have figuring out your own personal boundaries. Like how much can you give to each family, but like, but still give, you know, it's the same thing with nursing. You know, people would say the same thing, like, you know, you just have to turn it off. It's a job. You have to do it. And I was always like, if I, if I turn that all off, I'm not going to advocate for my patient in the best way possible, like in the way that they need. Clearly I, I got burnt out on it, but now I'm at the point where like well you know what I think I could you know go back if that was something that I wanted to do because I feel like I've gone through therapy I've worked on different things like I know where my boundaries and stuff lie I know like what types of patients I can take care of you know without taking on the emotional toll of it but you can't and I'm hearing this from you too like you you just you can't do your job as effectively if your heart is completely shut off oh and that compassion and empathy. Yeah, it's completely absolutely. shut off. What's schooling like for social work? Like, what types of classes and stuff are you taking?
2: Yeah, so for undergrad, so we had like all your intro classes of like, here's what social work is, here's what things you can do, blah blah blah, all that stuff. But then we had, I took a child welfare class one time, uh which is generally just talking about like what child protective services is mm-hmm. and like different welfare programs for families and children and all of those things and we take policy classes and research classes are a big part of what the social work programs are. And so because social work practice is based so much on research and different like, like evidence-based practice is a huge part of social work. So all therapies and stuff that came from someone really digging in and researching what worked and saying, okay, this works. And here's how I can tell you it works. I've seen it. This is why you should use it. And so And social work is constantly evolving, just like any other, like just like nursing. Nursing is constantly changing because the medical field is constantly changing. So so social work is the same way. And then research usually pulls into policy as well. And in college, I didn't really think I enjoyed policy, but now I'm like, man, policy is so good. Like, I don't want to do research because I don't want to, I want to be around people too much to do that. I want to be direct (laughs) practice as much as possible. But policy Things you can, the changes you can make by advocating for one small change here and there is massive.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so we did policy classes where we had to basically look, do a community assessment of where we were at in college, which was in um, Huntington, West Virginia, and say, okay, here are the needs. Here's what policy state. Okay, what policies do we need to implement to make this better? Mm-hmm. And we would go do stuff at the Senate and at the Capitol and kind of, we had social work days where we would go and hear all these people advocating for new policies. And one of our classmates even like advocated and wrote a policy bill for the state of West Virginia involving different parts of social work, everywhere from emergency personnel and first responders and how mm-hmm. that, and how social work kind of links in with that. And then we had extensive like practicum classes of like internships and stuff. Because undergrad, I had to get 600 hours. And then in grad school, I had to get another 400. I think that's right. Yeah, a thousand hours total of like direct practice care, working with people. We ha- Our capstone was basically a huge research project. We Our class was so small. We just did one big paper together to get published. And so mm-hmm. what our project was, was on PTSD and, and military veterans. And we ended up getting a clinic put on our college campus because we have a huge veteran population there as well as the ROTC
3: mm-hmm.
2: and so now there's a military clinic on Marshall's campus to work with veterans that are there in the community as well um, and so it's basically a lot of everyone was like well do you take a lot of tests and I'm like no it was a lot of writing because you have to write well to do social sure, especially if you mm-hmm. want to be in your master's or doctorate and want to publish papers or teach, you have to be able to do those kinds of things as well, which is great because every class encapsulates so much. Every time time you go to class, there's so much discussion. There's so much learning going on because not only are you learning from the professor, but you're learning from each other because every single person in that classroom has a different perspective. Yeah. And so you learn so much from other people because you're learning from experiences that you as a person didn't have that someone else did. So I think I learned more from my classmates and their lives and through discussion with our professors and what things they've done than anything else, than anything a book could have teaching me. And then in grad school, we did a lot of integrated healthcare classes and like community mental health, which I never thought I would do, but then I did that when I moved to Nashville (laughs) because a lot of social work is moving a lot towards integrated healthcare. And so is Mm -hmm. the medical field and like Mm -hmm. the person as a whole, which I love that. Yes, I go to the doctor. Very beneficial. Yeah, Yeah. like even when I go to the doctor, they're like, "So, how are you feeling? Like, are you having any depression, anxiety?" And then I'm like, "Wow, who knew that it was going to change so fast?" Yeah, yeah. Because I was in grad school three three years ago, three four years ago, Mm -hmm. and so the fact that we were we were on the front end of it then of like this is what medical field needs to be, and it's what social work needs to be, and here we are now, and it's like a normal thing now.
0: You're just making all these changes. It's amazing.
2: And so, oh gosh, not just You're a very impactful (laughs) person. And so it's just cool to see how quickly that change could be made. Like, yeah, it was three years, but that's huge that it happened so fast. Yeah. And so it's like, imagine what else we could do three years from now and three years from then. Imagine what how fast and how different social work and the medical field together and working together. Mm -hmm. how different that's going to be for the general population the further and further further and further we go into this. That's
0: exciting. That's really exciting to think about. Yeah. I want
2: to talk about
0: Nashville Angels because it is so near and dear to, I feel like it's your heart's work. And especially with the holidays and stuff coming up, I just want you to be able to share what Nashville Angels is, who you guys are working with, sure at all because I want I want everyone to kind of fall in love with this that you've created and built
2: yeah so as you know but since you're people listening probably don't know um (laughs) National Angels is a part of a much bigger nationwide project and organization so it started in Texas and we now I think as of like today we have 22 functioning chapters right now and two more are launching in january oh that's That'll be 24 chapters across the nation and it's constantly changing like we're constantly getting people from different parts of the country who want to do what we're doing and so if you're listening to this and you like what i'm about to tell you you need to contact us yes it's already <laughs> in your area if it's not already there because that's what i did i heard about national angels on a podcast two years ago and. Susan was the guest, who was the CEO and founder of mm-hmm. National Angels and, well, Austin and now National. And she just shared her heart behind building something to serve the foster care community, which I think is something that is so overlooked and they're Completely. very underserved. And it's funny because, like, I see it all the time. And so I see that there's a need there, mm-hmm. but I'm in social work. So I'm, it's there in my face all of the time. Right. And the biggest thing I've learned in the last two years in talking with people about what National Angels does is that the average person is kind of unaware of what's going on. Yeah. Just because it's not talked about very often. Yeah. so Susan and her team have built something that's such an easy fix for a really big problem. And the fact that they could find something so simple to, to connect people to other people in their community which is what I love. And so, sorry, I'll get back to National Angels is, you know, we <laughs> walk alongside kids in foster care, but also the families, the foster homes that are taking them and their caretakers who are caring for them in this time that they're in foster care, whether that six days, six months, six years or the rest of their life. It, mm-hmm. Every child and every family is different. And so the way we do that is with our Love Box program and our Dare to Dream program. And so the Love Box is where we take A group in the community, whether it is a church group, a business, a family, a group of friends, every group is so different and they get matched with the foster family in their own community. They get to serve. And so every month for at least a year, that group takes a big box full of whatever practical needs that family has, whether Mm -hmm. it is home goods, like toilet paper and laundry detergent, or if it's school supplies or groceries. They just get to come in and bridge that gap for them that Mm -hmm. much. But even more importantly, they're getting to build a community and become an attachment to this family. And so the biggest problem with foster care is kids get moved around so much and so often just because there's a lack of support in the foster care system. The state can't do it. The agencies can't do it. There's not enough people to do that. Yeah. And so what National and National Angels does, it just closes that gap for them. And it's such a simple, like you look at it, you're like, this is so simple. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even anything overly extensive. It's literally taking a box of goods to a family and loving on them. Of basic human needs. Right. Just encouraging people and loving on them and asking them what they need and checking it on everybody. Mm-hmm. It's so simple. And it, but it's so impactful at the exact same time. Like it does so much for right. those families who are taking on a lot of stuff whether it's trauma and from other families and children they're taking on so much so just to have someone come alongside of them is huge Mm -hmm. and then dare to dream program is it focuses on the kids who are at risk of aging out which is a huge population right that no one really knows about or thinks about just because if it's not like I said if it's not in your in your face all the time Mm -hmm. you're not going to think about oh that 18 year old over there cool cool well that 18 year old aged out of foster care and was kicked out of their group home yesterday and have nowhere to go yeah yeah and so they because you know once the older you get in foster care the least the less likely you're going to be adopted mm-hmm. or being a stable foster home until you turn 18 right so what the dare to dream program does is gives gives them a person to help teach them things that they're they need to know general basic life skills of Here's how you create a grocery list and you go to the grocery store and you buy groceries for yourself and you meal prep. Here's how you budget for that. Here's how you go get a license and apply for a job and internet and body safety. I feel like internet safety is so big now,
3: mm-hmm.
2: especially when 2020 hit, like the yep. amount of content kids were taking in and interacting with people they didn't know. Mm-hmm. It just opens up this world of human trafficking, which is its own separate long conversation. but I think 2020 has brought a lot of light to that. And so for teenagers, especially with social media, it's Mm -hmm. so hard to get them to understand of like, I know you think you know this person, but we don't actually know this person.
3: Mm -hmm. And
2: so just teaching teenagers how to spot those things and how to look out for themselves and protect themselves from that because they're such an easy target, especially kids in foster care. People don't know if they're missing. Yeah. Oh, they didn't come to school for two weeks. Oh, that's just so and so. Not knowing they ran off with somebody, and now they're you know being trafficked in their own city and you, you don't know, yeah, and so I think it's just been a really it's been even eye-opening for me to just see and learn even more, just because I feel like in social short you always know a little bit about everything mm-hmm. but these last two years, I've really poured into what foster care is and adoption and what that support looks like and talking to people, and I mean it's I learned something new every day from these foster parents and these kids and different people in the community who have been doing this longer than me. And so it's nice to constantly learn new things and learn how to do better. Um, And so, like I said, if you're listening, I'm going to say what (laughs) Susan told the world. And she basically (laughs) said that her dream was to have this in every major metropolitan area to make sure we can serve every single child in foster care. Mm -hmm. And so if, I encourage anyone who's listening, even if you just want to learn more about foster care or want to know more of what the organization does, just go to the National Angels website and see if there's a chapter in your area. Or you can contact me and I will, I'll look into it. And if there is one, I'll connect you with the directors there. And if there's not one and you think, hmm, I might could do this. Because let me <laughs> tell you, I was 25 and did not know I could do this. <laughs> and it happens. And here we are two years later um still standing even after a global pandemic I really didn't know if we would make it or not um mm-hmm. and because of the community that's the only reason we're still afloat and we're still doing this um and that's huge for because we were this is our first full year yeah like running on our own I quit my job in December took a leap of faith and started doing this full time in January and then we had a dang tornado oh god yeah the east side still <laughs> and, torn up and then literally 10 days later <laughs> The world gets shut down and yeah. it was just, in a way, it was almost, I don't want to say a blessing, but kind of, it kind of put us on the same level playing field as every other nonprofit in Nashville, because they were also figuring their lives out too
3: mm-hmm. and how to
2: live through this. So it was kind of nice that we're so new. We got to learn a lot from other people and kind of learn from each other and work together a lot more than I think we probably would have. Had the pandemic not happened. Mm -hmm. And even though like we didn't have near the funding we expected this year, just because we couldn't do any of the events we had planned for the entire year. Right. And you know, everyone got pushed to working from home. Zoom fatigue is a real thing. Oh yeah. And you know, virtual works in some places, but in Nashville, it really just doesn't work the way you hope it does, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. But despite all of that, we served more kids this year than I had even anticipated before the pandemic happened.
0: I was going to ask how this has kind of changed with COVID. Like, are you able to deliver as many, like, necessities, continue with the mentor programs? Are they, are you doing them virtually? Like,
2: how's this, how's that happening now? Yeah, so our board serves a family here in nashville and we serve them every month you know and mm-hmm. we're just very careful about it we had a discussion with them of like how do you us just door drop stuff and when quarantine first started we just did door drops of like hey i'm gonna knock on your door i'm gonna leave a box of goodies for you call me if you need me and i would just check in and them like week like, how's everything going do you mm-hmm. need anything what can i bring to you and then i guess the further we got into the summer they were like well if you wish want to come over, like you're more than welcome to come over. And so it was just like me and one other person from our team mm-hmm. who we weren't really working out in public still. So we would go over and hang out with them and the kids and whatnot. And so it changed a little bit. I think the biggest change for us, because we were so new, we hadn't really built up our program yet. We were just getting started. Mm-hmm. and So we didn't get to match families as much as we wanted to this year, just because we didn't have the funds to hire a social worker. We right. didn't have the capacity to take on, you know, 25 families on a monthly basis without the mm-hmm. group. And so what we did instead was we just put it out there of like, we want to serve them and this is what we need. And people just kept showing up with delivering stuff from Amazon and saying, Hey, I have this. Can I come bring it to you and give it to someone? Amazing. And, it? and so I think it from May through August, on average we serve between 60 and 70 kids every month wow and that wasn't even like it was just taking boxes to agencies and saying okay when they come pick up their stuff for you this is a box from the National Angels team in the community for them to have with everything whether it was I mean we did like summer boxes because we're like these kids have been at home with their parents since March they need some something
0: some sort of interaction yeah so yeah we did
2: like board game boxes activities and, cooking boxes and gardening and stuff to kind of allow them to kind of get outside of their home outside mm-hmm. of the screens to really spend time together because they've been cooped up in their houses forever and they yeah. weren't at school and stuff and that was hard enough for kids as it was and mm-hmm. so we kind of just did that and then we did backpacks in August because some of the kids were going back to school and some of them weren't we wanted to make sure everyone had what they needed and September and October were a little slower for us just because we were coming back out of We thought it was going to be a downward slope, and then it kind of went back up again. I was like, okay, how do we keep navigating this? Mm -hmm. And then for Thanksgiving, um, the Preds actually reached out to us and said, hey, we want to deliver Thanksgiving meals for your families. Oh, that's amazing. I was like, what? And so (laughs) the last two days, the Preds staff delivered 30 Thanksgiving meals from us and them. And you know those kids are like, Oh my god. Oh man, yes, here at my house. Right. Like they did such because like we've been working, we had a really good meeting with them right before quarantine happened. Mm -hmm. And then everyone got shut down. They all went home. And so thankfully the girl that I talked to and met with, we were still heavy on her mind when they kind of went back to the office and was like, Hey, want we wanna meet up with you again? And you know, we kind of talked about their grant that's opening and we had a really good conversation. And like a week later, she was she texted me and said, Hey we have an idea for Thanksgiving if if you're open to it mm-hmm. and I was like yeah what you got you know what you what do you don't what do you, you want to do yeah said, well we want to take thanksgiving meals and just deli- uh, you know everything's unmade but they had all the supplies mm-hmm. we take them to families so they just went I got 30 families listed out for them with addresses and numbers and names and how many people are in the home and they yeah. said, all right and they just their staff went out and just delivered boxes of thanksgiving goodies to 30 families across and it wasn't even just Nashville. I mean, we had people in Clarksville and Murfreesboro and Lebanon and Amazing. It was everywhere. And it was really cool to get to reach out to agencies and say, okay, who do you have that needs Thanksgiving food? Like who do you have that could use this? And then getting to do that with them. And so Christmas is not what we originally had planned for it and what we had hoped for it to be. We wanted to redo what we did last year, but with COVID, we were just like, well, you know, I don't know if Having a bunch of us running around Target and going into someone's home is is the, the best same, idea. Yeah. wisest <laughs> thing to do right now. Hopefully we can do that next year, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so like, what if we just do, we did Love Box Saturday in the spring. I mean, it's summer where we just had a bunch of stuff submitted and we had 10 or 12 volunteers come pack boxes, decorate them. And then we deliver them to the agency. Mm-hmm. I was like, what if we just do that Christmas style and do it bigger? Yeah. So we had this big idea. We're going to have a foster care Christmas party. And we were going to have all the volunteers come together and build and decorate boxes. And we'll have all the families come in and we'll have a Santa. and We'll take family photos and we'll have snacks and treats and a movie. And then with all the new restrictions coming back out, right? Yeah. how can we do this differently, but still do it? And so I think what we're going to do is we're going to have a parking lot packing party so we can space everybody out have small teams of volunteers together, Mm -hmm. everyone pack and decorate boxes, and then we'll create like a drive through parade of signs and people and music. And Oh, that's sweet. We'll just drive through and you can wave at all the kids and we'll throw candy into the cars and we'll give the boxes and they can kind of wave and see everybody. Because I really want, what I really wanted is I wanted volunteers to see the kids they were doing this for. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the families to see the people who were doing this for them. Yeah. Yeah. And then that gum 2020 hit me again. <laughs> <laughs> and like every time we get close to something, something crazy happened. Yeah. And then afterwards I'm like, well, you know what? We still made it happen. Mm-hmm. It looks differently, but it still we still made it happen. And that's what's important. Yeah. So it was not the year we had ever anticipated. And you know, I forfeited my salary a couple months ago to make sure we could keep doing this and Mm. Like I was telling, I think I was telling Susan or I was telling someone the board or something. I was like, if it takes me working four or five jobs to keep this open to make sure our kids get what they need, then that's what I'll do. Oh, Amanda. Because, you know, they get overlooked and underserved enough as it is. Yeah. I want them to keep getting served by us. I want them to keep seeing us and I want to keep seeing them. Yeah. Uh, and if we close our doors, we can't do that. Mm hmm. And so, if that means I have to take a step back and work at the hospital and contract here and work retail here to make ends meet and do what we have to do, then that's what I'm going to do. And so, we have the Giveathon coming up the first week of December with Giving Tuesday, and yeah, we're try to raise as much money as we can in three days. Amazing!
0: Uh, I will post about it.
2: We have it. people that are going to make videos for us, and mm-hmm. um. We wanted to be able to do like some kind of like small live event with like the COVID stuff, but we don't know mm-hmm. Were they just coming so quickly. We don't know if we can make that happen, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, we have a restaurant or two who are going to do givebacks for us that day. If you go eat at their restaurant, they'll give back to Nashville. Village just we tell them about us. And then, yeah, we're just going to launch. We're going to relaunch our hashtag. It takes Nash Village campaign, um, which was something that kind of stemmed out of an idea that we had of like it takes the village to raise a family, and mm-hmm. we want to re. I feel like I don't hear that near as often as I used to. like growing up, I feel like I heard it all the time, right? Um, and we're like, what if we just build a campaign around re of implementing that thing into the foster care system? Like mm-hmm. it takes the village to raise them too. Yeah. And then when our social media girl was like, "What if we call it a nash village because we're here?" and I was mm-hmm. like, "That's literally perfect." Yeah. Like no one else could use that. But we we can make that work, and so it really took off in May when we did a big payback, which Mm -hmm. was a giving day for 24 hours. And so we just we're like we'll just relaunch it and do it bigger. And so we're working on different artists and stuff who are going to post about it and make videos for us, like before, and just really encourage people. Even if you can't give financially, like just share about us to people that Mm -hmm. you know. Like that that is huge for us. They're just getting our name out there again. Yeah, Uh, yeah. And so we're hopeful that we'll bring in some funds for that. Um, We we already have five matching donors for that day, which is really huge for us. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, And so we're going to just really launch it those three days. And then we'll have our Christmas project on the 12th of our packing party and Mm -hmm. drive-through delivery thing that we're figuring out. And then um, we're having a huge online silent auction the last two weeks of the year. And we got some really cool stuff with that, so I'm hoping that will grab some attention and kind of bring in some fun to the very last part of the year before we head into 2021,
1: so. Ah, mm, The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.
0: Well, I love the mission of Nashville Angels so much. Um, I know there's a concern, though, too. Like, how do you protect the kids that you're serving? You know, if people are coming and volunteering, how do you protect those kids? You know, because a lot of people would like oh I'm doing good for today and I'm gonna take a selfie with this child and look at all the good that I'm doing like how do you kind of protect against that
2: yeah so every time we have any kind of volunteer event Mm -hmm. especially if children are going to be around we just encourage no photos of their faces because any child in foster care they their faces can't be shown on social media or you know that's but protecting them because they're you know they're in custody like you know their their faces don't go online yeah um, and so we have everyone sign confidentiality agreements with us then liability mm-hmm. forms and for like video purposes like what we will do is if cuz like people bring their biological children as well we encourage them to bring the entire family if they come mm-hmm. and so if this was a normal world event and kids were going to be running around what we would do is we would put different colored wristbands on yeah. kids. and so like if they have a red band okay you can only show like their hands and feet and from behind you can't show their face if they have a green band you can show them as a whole like you can show their faces their smiling faces and happiness and, you know whatever mm-hmm. um, and it's always like we always have like don't you can't not take pictures like if you want to take pictures that's great you want people to, to see what you're doing but get creative in how you're taking their photo
3: mm-hmm. like
2: have them with their hands digging in the boxes or have them just do like and then, their little feet running across the parking lot. Yeah. Um, because a big part of, I think that's, what's so hard is people who are donating, well, they want to see the faces of the kids that they're giving to you. But you it, can't. yeah. Yeah. So it's like, how do we get creative enough where you still see what you're doing and get that feeling of, man, this is really making a difference for these kids and their families.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But also following all the rules at the same time, right? And so, I know Austin has done some really cool campaigns with either kids who have been adopted or like biological children. Mm-hmm. That way, they still encapsulate because it still is the same feeling of these kids who are getting these boxes and interacting with these people they see all the time. Yeah, but it's also really cool to see the creativity of all the different teams across the nation and how they how they capture those moments because mm-hmm. everyone does it so differently. Right, right. And so it's like there was one, I think it was in Cedar Valley, I think, where the kids had gotten inside of the love box and were like hugging each other. (laughs) Oh. And it's one of the coolest pictures I've ever seen. I called her and I was like, can I use this picture please? Because it's perfect. Oh and it's really cool because we all share everything. Mm -hmm. Like if we all have an if I have an idea and someone wants to piggyback off of it and I'm like, yeah, here's what we did, here's what worked, here's what didn't work right and like we share social media content and Austin makes stuff for us to share to like take that off our shoulders so we can tweak it edit it, and it's really cool to have such a team of people all across the nation that are now like a part of my family like I see them Mm -hmm. on zoom once a month we all get together all the presidents do and yeah we just talk about changes and updates that are coming and we talk about our individual chapters and what's going on and what's been great what's been hard and so You never really feel like you're by yourself doing this because Mm
3: -hmm.
2: either they've already been through it or they're going through it too. So it's like, or they're going to go through it, right? And it's just been really nice to have a team of support like that and to have Susan and the national team with us all this time and every step of the way to really encourage us and build us up, especially for you know me who was at the time 25 and had no idea what she was doing. (laughs) Like I'm literally a social worker. I don't know anything about running anything. but you right. did it right and it's that like, I think that's the biggest thing too is people like I don't know if I could do that and I'm like listen if the rest of us can do this you can do mm-hmm. this and that's Susan's biggest thing you know she yeah. wasn't a social worker when she started this she was in the business corporate America mm-hmm. and saw a need and thought we have to fix this and did just yeah. did it yeah and now it this ever-changing always growing organization that's serving children in all different parts of the country
0: yeah and I think it's so good just to highlight that it's it's not just babies you know that are in the foster care system it's yeah that it's literally children of all ages it's teenagers Mm -hmm. not every family is perfect not every foster care family is perfect oh absolutely but there's also not a lot of money to be made in foster care you know and like everything gets so tied up in the government like funds and stuff so it's like what you're what you're providing are are just basic human needs that yeah. you know a family that might have like 4 to 6 foster kids or more i honestly don't know how many you know kids are normally in each household but like that's a lot that's a lot of toilet paper that's a lot of groceries that's a lot yeah. of laundry detergent that's For a lot sure. of loose leaf paper and Man, do kids even use loose leaf paper anymore? That's not but like, too. yeah, pens and pencils and markers and just stuff to, you know, the the extra stuff like like you said with, you know, especially during COVID, being so cooped up, having extra activities that are stimulating mm-hmm. for kids yeah. to do that that don't include a screen. You know, yes I love the idea of the gardening box, especially during the summer, because yeah. that's you know. Fun
2: yeah they're all at home together and the weather was fairly nice this summer like it Mm -hmm. it wasn't over abundance and you know the weather wasn't too bad and yeah uh, they can they
0: can you can grow your food (laughs) exactly
2: yeah exactly and something that you said you know about funding and stuff is it's also like a common like myth and misconception well there's there are foster parents that are just in in it for the money and Mm -hmm. I, I hear that all the time and I always just like to educate people in a sense of like yes there is a very 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 small percentage of people who yes might be in it for the check they get Mm -hmm. but honestly they're not making that much money anyway and so it's like I tell people all the time I'm like they're not making money off of these kids like they're the stuff that they're doing for these kids they're not making money off of that Like Mm -hmm. they're not making, they're not making bank by being a foster parent. Yeah. And the money they are getting is to make sure they can provide what those kids need. And even then it's not enough. Right. Because you don't want to buy them minimal compared to what you're buying for your other children. Mm -hmm. You know, you have biological kids in need and why are you going to buy your biological child this? And then, well, we're just going to buy them a smaller or nothing at all. We can only afford your needs. And so right. Most foster parents are going above and beyond for these kids mm-hmm. and treating them just like they would any other child in their home. Yeah. And, you know, we already don't have enough foster parents as it is. Mm-hmm. so it's like, let's encourage and keep the ones that we do have. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I just think there's a lot of misconceptions about foster care, but because it's not really talked about, like mm-hmm. mainstream media doesn't talk about foster care. It just <laughs> doesn't. And that's or the, especially about kids
0: aging out. And like, yeah. these are kids that are are aging out. They don't have direction. They don't have support. Yeah. They don't necessarily have the tools that they need to work for a scholarship to get into school, to continue their lives, to be able to support themselves. So it's like, absolutely that service, I think, might be the most important service that you guys provide with that mentoring program.
2: Yeah, and so like, we have multiple group homes Here in Nashville, Mm -hmm. and these kids are there. And then when they turn eighteen, they have to leave. Yeah, because they turned eighteen, like on their birthday. All right, well, here you go. Mm -hmm. And so, thankfully, we have like Monroe Harding, who has transitional apartment for kids who are aging out. So they come in in an apartment that's full of furniture and Mm -hmm. stairs. They have a staff on site who helps them when they need help and. So a big part of what we did this summer was I met a group of boys during tornado cleanup who were from the group home. Oh, And I was out delivering food with the Opry food truck that I do. And, you Mm -hmm. know, my friend that works there was like, Hey, um, I know you're not working right now, but come the food truck's going to be out in North Nashville if you want to come. And so I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so we're taking coolers of food and water around. And, uh, we're looking for just groups of people. And this guy said, well, there's a, group of teenage boys up at this house I'm sure they love some food we're like okay so we go up there and I meet this woman and she's talking about she's like thank you so much like you have no idea how much this means to them and I was like oh you know it's no big deal we just want to make sure everyone's fed and has water and she was like no you don't understand these kids are all in foster care and they don't get treated like this and I was like Oh my gosh, my name is Amanda and I work for National Angels and I really need to talk to you. <laughs> and I was like, I don't have any cards on me, but please, please, please look us up. I'd love to connect with you and like mm-hmm. do something for them. And so I put out a call to action and we just got like some headphones and decks of cards and handwritten mm-hmm. notes. And I went and delivered it to like the office to give to them because I wanted them to know that they were seen and appreciated for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like she said, it was their, like, they could have stayed at home. It was their idea to come out and find some way to help today. Like, I didn't do this for them. They came to me and said, we want to help. What yeah. What can we do? And they were literally cutting down a tree for someone off their house. Yeah. Just because they could. hmm And so we've been connected since then. And so she'll call me and say, hey, I have two boys aging out in two weeks. Can you get a basket together for them? Because yeah. I didn't, you know, I never really thought about it, but mm-hmm. they provide all of the big things like beds and furniture and the apartment. But she told me, she was like, but they don't have like plates to eat off of and mm-hmm. cups and silverware and uh, a lockbox for their documents or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I would just go get these big laundry baskets and I would put in toilet paper and laundry detergent and dish soap and some cleaning supplies. And I would get plates and silverware and some cooking utensils and some snacks and, I would take it. And so when I got to their apartment and they left, they'd have this, this basket of things they could use in the apartment they were moving into. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's going to become something that we do um, more often every time because mm-hmm. we have the girls home too and the other boys home. Yeah. And just say, hey, when, you, when they're getting ready to age out, when you know it's coming, give us about a month to get everything and we'll make them bigger. That way, yeah. whenever they leave, they have all of these things that are theirs that they can mm-hmm. take to the apartment and make it their own yeah um, because just getting to move into a space that's your own yeah is huge but then if you don't know what to do with it yeah it's like oh I could teach like, you know it's just so simple to teach them mm-hmm. like here's how you do this yeah. How, yeah if you don't know how to do this or you get confused like here just call me and I'll, I'll come I'll come over and I'll help you or I'll walk you through it yeah and so I think like you said just like no one really knows about it mm-hmm. and so that's been one of my biggest things is just I just want people to be educated and just know what's going on in yeah. this realm of the world because it's such a big need it's such a big problem but the more people you have to work on it the better and easier and better it gets and so yeah I think there are tons of misconceptions that I could you know rant on about for you know, <laughs> probably days but And so that's why I always encourage people, like, if you don't know about this or you just want to ask questions, like, there's Mm -hmm. no stupid question. Like, if you don't know, I'll gladly tell you about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's just getting that conversation started. And I feel like we're slowly getting there of like, people are like, well, I I don't really know about this or, Mm -hmm. you know, what is it like for kids in foster care? Well, let me tell you what's like for a foster parent. How do you become one? Like, what does that look like? And yeah, you know, you talked about too, like everyone just seems it's babies. And it's, it's so not like babies are pretty hard to come by in foster care world, mm-hmm. um, unless it's like an emergency placement, like from the hospital. Right. Um, but the thing is, a lot of foster parents want babies. Mm-hmm. And so it's just incur- kind of building foster parents up and be like, you can do this. You can take a nine-year-old. You can do this. Yeah. You can take a teenager. Like, it'll be okay. One of my friends from grad school, he is a foster parent and he started out with only doing teenagers. He was like, "Wow, the commitment is so much lower. They're seventeen. They literally graduate in six months. You're literally just getting into graduation. Yeah, and getting them to live. Yeah, and getting ready for school. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's so genius. Like, and now that that his first foster like calls him and checks in on him for holidays and stuff, and will come visit and whatnot and do their thing. And it's like, man, if more people thought like that, yeah, yeah. Imagine how many teenagers." would just come out of high school like living their best life knowing that they've got someone to come home to on the holidays mm-hmm. yeah. or they call if they go to school like just having mm-hmm. someone to call and be like man I'm having a really hard day
0: yeah just and that support
2: yeah and so it's
0: it's human connection
2: yes it's all that it at the is. root of it yeah so it's build, it's just building relationships with people is all that it comes down to is being intentional about it Amanda you
0: are truly a force and I am so grateful that we were able to have this conversation and share it with the WOMED community. Tell people where they can find you, if they have questions, and how they can be a part of Nashville or National Angels.
2: Yeah. If you just have general questions that you want to know more about social work or Nashville Angels, I'm on Instagram. The Nashville Angels is just at Nashville Angels Nonprofit. And then me, is just Amanda Marie G11. Kind of complicated, you know, everyone else had money already. <laughs> and then the National Angels um, website is just nationalangels.org and ours is nationalangels.org. But if you just want a quick, you can send me a DM. I'm pretty quick to respond. Or you can send me an, an email at amanda at nationalangels.org. And I'm more than happy to point anyone into the direction of whether it's serving in their own community, starting something, or just learning more about foster care in general or social work. I love talking to you about social work too. Because <laughs> like no one ever wants to talk about it and i love talking about it (laughs) so um like my roommate my roommate just finished is finishing nursing school she's almost done and we were talking recently because i picked up a hospital job in franklin um doing prn like psychiatric care Mm -hmm. and we were talking about something about i was like oh yeah i'm getting paid this much which is like good for like a master's level social worker good and she looked at me and she said amanda when I start my job in February, I'm going to be making 5 or $6 an hour more with a bachelor's degree with no experience. How does that happen? And I was like, well, it it just does. I, I don't know. And so she was like, and I've never heard it put this way. She's the only person I've ever heard like put it this way. She's like, but what I do for their physical health, you do for their mental health. Yeah. So why is it different? And I was mm-hmm. like, I really don't know the answer to that question. And she said, "Do you think it'll ever change?" And I said, "Honestly, I said I would like for it to, just because a lot of like most social workers are underpaid and underappreciated. Well,
0: nurses are especially underpaid in oh, in Tennessee yeah. too. Yeah. So oh, that sure. that makes it like even more right disheartening that you that social workers are that underpaid. That the pay right. gap is just
2: that big. Oh my God. Yeah." <laughs> And so we were like talking about it. And I was like, well, I like to think that it will change, but it's been this way forever. I don't know that it will. <laughs> and I said, but you know but. what? You've
0: made a lot of changes just in healthcare
2: policy alone. So hopefully. And so I was like, you know, I said, I think it will change eventually. It'll just be a really long time because it's really just getting people to understand what you just said of like, mm-hmm. I what I do, what you do for their physical health, I'm doing for their mental health, which is just as important. Yeah. just getting people to see that. I feel like we're slowly transitioning into that just with integrated healthcare alone. But I think you have to think about it though. The no, the best social workers and the ones who are doing the most work weren't in it for the money anyway. Mm-hmm. Same with nursing. Exactly. Like just like teachers, like they're not in it for the money. They want to do something good. And I said, and yes, is it hard to see like, you know, all these people who around me who live and work in business and they're like making bank and living their best life. And I was like, yeah, but all my needs are met. And then some. Mm-hmm. and I'm still living my best life yeah uh, you know would it be nice to be paid like my worth for sure <laughs> but that's also okay like I'm getting to serve people every day and that's all I ever wanted out of my career was just serve people every day and so she gets on more of a rant a rant about it than I do because she's like but you're not getting paid and I was like I know <laughs> <But it's okay." laughs> and so she eventually wants to with nursing anyway but yeah it was just funny the way she phrased it and i was like you know i didn't really thought about it that way before yeah no that's uh, really and so yeah i think and i i wish more people were open to the idea of social work. i feel like a lot of people get mm-hmm. so blindsided of like oh i don't know because like i got i'm now to the point like i'll tell stories of like stuff i've seen and done mm-hmm. and like i worked in a group home and all this crazy stuff happened this is what i did oh i got attacked at home one time and like we all laughed about it and joke and they're like amanda oh, that's not normal <laughs> And i'm like but but you have to understand like it it's fine like we were all okay it just it was just our life yeah uh, and so i have to be, <laughs> have to be careful sometimes because i kind of catch you off guard mm-hmm. and they're like you did what someone did what to you someone spit on you and i was like oh yeah that happens all the time it's fine i'm like no 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 i mean that happens that happened to me as a cna yeah right, exactly on the adult floor yeah exactly and like that's that, that's not that's not normal. And I was like, I truly believe that like social workers are just like their unique breed of people, and certain things you can teach social work, and some other things that you just can't teach someone, right? Like, right. I think social workers are like. I think I was born and bred. Like I was born and bred to be a social worker. I didn't know that the yeah. way later in life. um And I go out of my social work friends the same way of like oh I wanted to do psychology or I wanted to be a nurse then I realized like I wasn't built for that but social work is like my jam and I'm like exactly
0: Mm -hmm.
3: and
2: so I just think it's I think it's just making people like you can do a lot with this degree and you can do a lot of good with this yeah if you just open up your mind to the idea of things you could do with because like social workers I think are some of the most powerful people I've ever met I would agree Um, I'm like like, man where did you come from like you make me like high on life like I just want to go save the (laughs) world today because I had a conversation with you and I just think there are so many like that but you're you're like that though too for a lot of people oh gosh well thank you for saying that I really appreciate that more than you know but I I think I was telling my roommate yesterday or the other day I was like it's just like every other profession though like you only hear about the negative bad ones in the news Mm -hmm. you don't hear about the rock star ones who are like killing it in their small town community across right. the country or doing big right. work. And so I, I would love to like find a way to like showcase that, to show like people coming out of high school and in college of like, you could be that rock star. Like, mm-hmm. you, like you have all these ideas to change the world and here. You can do that. Yeah. Make it teach yeah. you how to do that. And so I don't know how that would work, but it would be really cool to like find a way to showcase that like mm-hmm. all over the world.
0: Well, hopefully, this podcast will encourage some other maybe undecided minds on a medical, on like nursing or doctor or being a doctor to, you know, maybe considering social work. So that's my hope, at least. Yes, that would be
2: awesome. I would love that.
0: All right, Amanda. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. This episode meant a lot to me, and i I hope that we can. Just shed all of all of the beautiful light on on what you're working on.
2: Yes, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I love to get to hang out and talk with you. And as always, anyway, but it really means a lot to me as a social worker that you wanted to have this conversation, and and for Nashville Angels even more so because we've worked together with that. So it really means a lot to me and our team.
0: Well, I'm here in whatever capacity
2: you need me. Well, I appreciate that so much.
0: Thank you so much to Amanda Guerin, Nashville Angels and National Angels for all the work they do for children in and aging out of the U.S. foster care system. You can message Amanda on Instagram, any questions about social work or Nashville Angels at Nashville Angels nonprofit or follow nationally at National Angels. If you want to find a local chapter to work with or to donate, go to nationalangels.org. And if you're local to Nashville and want to get involved here, head to nashvilleangels.org. Amanda is also available to answer any questions about the foster care system or becoming a foster parent as well. And please, also, if you have the time, I'm asking for a lot this episode, I know, but If you like the WOMED, make sure you're subscribed and leave your nursy energy moments in the review section. I love y'all. Till next week, WOMED out.
1: Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice.